Hey everybody, my name is Matt Tech and you are listening to Tech Talks, helping you turn adversity into victory. On Tech Talks, we equip ourselves with inspiration and biblical guidance while navigating our career, calling, and daily life. Welcome to the show. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Today we're talking about a popular word or movement within the church right now. And that word is deconstruction. But I'm not an expert. As a Christian, I'm simply a curious and concerned believer. So we sat down with Pastor Chris Williams from Church on the Rock in Lubbock, Texas. I first heard about deconstruction from the Alyssa Childers podcast, Cooper Stuff with Skillet's John Cooper, and then some opposing views from VeggieTales founder Phil Vischer on the Holy Post podcast. While my initial research fell across a fair amount of political rhetoric, it became more humanely apparent when we had our friends Zane and Kim over for dinner. See, Kim had shared that she grew up in a religious culture where she was told what to believe and not allowed to question why she believes what she believes. So concerned with what I was finding, I needed some clarity myself. So let's chat with Pastor Chris about deconstruction. We talk about its actual definition, why it's so popular, if there's any sincerity behind the movement, and how we engage in proper biblical understanding of our beliefs. Pastor Chris and I are very excited to share this conversation with you. Hello, Tech Talks listeners. Matt Tech here, and I'm sitting in person with Pastor Chris Williams here in Lubbock, Texas. And we're going to talk to you today about something that seems to be permeating the church culture called deconstruction. We're going to talk about what it is, what it means, how can we search the scriptures honestly, and um, you know, we're going to rely on Pastor Chris here to to walk us through some deconstruction and what it is and why it's growing so fast. So, Pastor Chris, welcome. Welcome. I'm, welcome. Hey, I'm glad to be here, man. This is going to be really cool. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be fun. Yeah. So, so I know about you, but but tell some of our listeners a little bit about yourself. So, um, I actually grew up, uh, well, first of all, my name is Chris Williams. Um, if we want to get the, the full gambit of my name, it's Christopher Toyo Williams. Toyo? Yeah, my, my middle name I thought was Indian. Um, but I found out that it's actually Japanese, which is really interesting. interesting. And, uh, and uh, my, yeah, my dad was kind of an eccentric dude. So <laughs> any funny names or stuff like that, he he liked, he would, he always thought about, like, if I have kids, this is what I'm going to do with it. So that's what he did with my name. But uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so I live here in Lubbock, Texas, but I actually grew up in Southern California. I was born in San Bernardino, California. And uh, this is my claim to fame that I always like to share with people. San Bernardino is where the first McDonald's was built. So I, that is where I was born in San Bernardino, California, home of the first McDonald's. There's actually a museum there off of uh, Baseline. Is it really? Yeah. Yeah. If you, if you got your uh, listeners that are from Cali, they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, lived most of my life in Los Angeles, California. Um, And then I moved out here in 2011 to Lubbock, Texas. And and I've been here ever since. Uh, beautiful wife, Valerie Williams, been married to her for 14 years. Cool. And I have uh, three amazing kids, Jeremiah, Anthony, and Genesis, my little girl. So, yeah, now it's what, a good life. And now what brought you out to Lubbock back in 2011? Well, and it's funny because I get that question a lot. You know, going from L.A. to Lubbock is mm-hmm. quite a change. A little bit of a culture shock, too. And so it, and and the way that people frame the question is always funny to me because it's almost like a, I can I can almost see the downcast in their face. They're like, why Lubbock? Like, why? You know? And um, the short answer is God. (laughs) It was really the Lord kind of moving us this way. Um, I think if I get in uh, more detail, a lot of it had to do with schooling. Cost of living is different here. Mm -hmm. Um, Tuition when it comes to schooling here in Lubbock is a lot different. And my wife is from Lubbock. She was actually born okay. here in Lubbock, Texas. Her family is from La Mesa, but they moved to California when she was like three years old. So after my wife graduated from college, uh, 
or uh, I believe it was college. No, 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 it was high school. After my wife graduated from high school, her parents basically said, all right, our work is done. We're moving back to Texas. <laughs> all right. So they moved back to Texas and they've been here since then. And, you know, um, my wife and I got to know each other really well and do ministry together. And it eventually led us out this way. That's so, cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh-huh. So tell us what you do now here in Lubbock. Yeah, so I am actually the men's ministry director and also one of the pastoral counselors here at Church on the Rock. Um, I've been at Church on the Rock for six years, but I spent the first four years um, of my time here as a youth pastor. And I've actually been doing youth ministry um, off and on for about 20 plus years. So kind of the old school veteran, I guess, when it came to that, um, finally stepped out, moved into something else. Uh, which is what I'm currently doing right now, and uh, just having a blast with it, just enjoying it. So that's cool. Yeah, there's this there's this word that's making its way through the church. Yeah, deconstruction. Mm-hmm. I've heard it on a couple of podcasts. Right. You know, the Alyssa Childers podcast, the Cooper Stuff podcast. Yeah, I've even heard it on some some GotQuestions.org podcasts. Yeah, I I want to tell you what I think a deconstruction is, but then okay. Since you've got a little bit more experience as the pastor, mm-hmm. if you can maybe help us define what it is. Because what I'm finding is that this specific word hasn't been able to be properly defined yet, hmm. I think. Yeah. Therefore, we're having a hard time kind of dealing with, with where it's going and the ramifications that it could be taking us towards. Yeah. So what I found is that deconstruction is is a type of approach that's claiming to disassemble beliefs or ideas while assuming their meanings are inherently subjective. And I know that there are different schools of thought and maybe people are approaching it from a different place. And what I'm finding is that the modern version of deconstruction usually means replacing uncomfortable Christian tenets with culturally or personally popular ideas. Mm. So is that an accurate definition or what would you say is a better definition of deconstruction? Right. Well, and I think the thing with deconstruction or deconstructionism is, is, is also another way that people um, will label it is that there is a lot of uh, fluidity when it comes to what it means like it's kind of all over the place it it can almost be very subjective as far as even i mean overall it's it's this subjective thing but even defining the terms has become like this subjective thing which makes it really interesting and so it's really about finding really kind of nailing down those the common thread in all the definitions the common principle Mm -hmm. within the definitions to really give us an understanding of what it is um you know i've kind of done I've always known about it, um, and I feel like more than anything, excuse me, with deconstructionism is that it's one of those things that's always been there. It's just in a new package. I think another way you could approach it is people are just finally asking questions about their faith. You know, Mm -hmm. why do I believe what I believe in? Um, I think it goes back to the 60s, to the 50s, maybe to some extent, um, when people really started questioning and thinking through what they believed in, which kind of birthed this um, this ministry uh, called apologetics. You know, hmm. apologetics wasn't really big in the 60s or 70s, but I think start like starting in like the mid 80s going into the 90s, I think it started picking up more ground in the mid 90s. And uh, and for our listeners who don't know or have never heard that term, apologetics is just being able to give a defense for why you believe what you believe in. Mm-hmm. It actually comes out of a passage in First Peter where it says that we need to give to every man an answer for the hope that we have inside of us. And that word for answer in the Greek in that text is apologia, which is where we get our word apologetics from. And so the word that's being used there is the type of word that you find in a court of law with like a defense attorney trying to um, defend their position and why they believe that position. And so the the thought of deconstructionism has always been there, but it's just until recently that we've given it kind of a new name, which mm-hmm. is deconstructionism. Yeah. So you mentioned that, that there that while the definition is kind of fluid mm-hmm. that you said that there are some 
some underlying common denominators amongst all of them. Can you help? Yeah. Can you walk us through what some of those are? Yeah, I was actually looking at because um, I wanted to give a working definition because I I'm one of those guys that like I, I want to have something to nail down on so that I can proceed forward with mm-hmm. how, how I approach the topic. And so I actually got this definition from from a website. Um, and and I won't I won't mention the website's name, but I could tell just from reading the website, like their beliefs and what they're about, it's a it's a very progressive uh, faith type website, mm-hmm. um, and it's one of those it's one of those things. And we'll find this out as we kind of move forward, hopefully in deconstructionism. Is that what tends to happen with someone who's deconstructing their faith is they will tend to go to one of two extremes with that. They were they will either trail off into atheism, like I don't believe in anything supernatural wow. anymore because I've deconstructed down to nothing. Mm-hmm. Or they tend to go in the other direction, which is they become a progressive Christian or progressive Christianity, where they keep little things here and there mm-hmm. when it comes to the Christian faith. But they reinterpret it in a way that makes them feel better than actually what the word of God says. And so you got like these two extremes. And so I say that because this definition that I'm going to give is actually coming from a website that I believe is kind of in that progressive camp. And uh, this is what they say. They say that deconstruction is the taking apart of an idea, practice, tradition, belief or system into smaller components in order to examine their foundation, truthfulness, usefulness, and impact. And so it kind of is, I, I feel like the common thread that's in there is that that uh, breaking apart or mm-hmm. taking apart. Really, I guess another way to say it is really putting your faith under a microscope something that we've never really done before. I just kind of believe because I've always believed. I believe because my parents believe. I believe, you know, but now I'm really going to examine this thing for myself and find out exactly what parts are true and what parts um, are not true. And I think that that's kind of the common thing that you'll see in these definitions uh, for deconstructionism. This might be a loaded question, Uh but what does that look like? Like how... How is one examining their faith under a microscope? What are the th- what are the actual things that they're doing that might lead them to a different understanding of maybe what they've known in the past? Yeah, and this probably plays in because I know one of the questions that you have brought to my attention is um, why uh, why is it permeating the church, mm-hmm. especially among young people? And and we'll get into a lot of get into that probably a little bit more later. But I think it it really comes down to um, to influences. You know, um, it's so funny. I've had I had this conversation with my wife, and we were talking about this, especially with our young generation, the Gen Zers and the Millennials. Mm-hmm. Is that um, one of the biggest things among Gen Z and Millennials? Is the amount of influencers that are constantly coming into their life when you have access to so much social media, mm-hmm. whether it be Twitter, TikTok, um, Instagram, Facebook, all of those things, you have these people that have made a living being quote unquote influencers. They're, they're actually given that title, mm-hmm. influencers. And so because of that, you are being inundated constantly with a lot of different worldviews and philosophies coming from other people. And so you're sitting there trying to assess what does all of that look like that I'm hearing, especially into relation, uh, especially in relation to what I believe, you know? So I think I think a lot of it kind of comes out of that or stems from that. Just the amount of influences coming in to their life on a daily basis, you know? So the rise of the Internet and social media plays a large part is what I hear. Yeah, I think okay. it I think it does. And uh, and along with that, just uh, friendships, too. One thing that I found this very interesting, especially this is probably more among Gen Zers mm-hmm. than it is millennials, is Gen Zers are starting to experience a little bit of burnout with social media. They're starting to realize that um, I crave more the actual community face to face 
interaction. Like I want something tangible now. I don't want to just have this friendship long distance or or on a computer screen. I actually want to hang out with people, have those right. common interests. And I'm not saying that it's not happening among the millennials, mm-hmm. but it seems like with the Gen Zers, they're really starting to lead the charge back into the importance of community and mm-hmm. what it means to be around people, living with people and just doing life together. Yeah. Yeah. So I may <clears throat> I may be asking the question again. But if, mm-hmm. so if I was a person that decided one day, Hey, I've, I've always believed X, mm-hmm. you know, but I'm hearing through these influencers and through the internet and through these relationships that, right. that what I learned when I was a kid might not be true. What am I going to do to go examine that now? Right. So how am I going to, what lens am I going to look at scripture through to, to figure out why I believe that thing that was kind of just handed to me when I was a kid and told, Hey, this is what we believe type of thing. Yeah. What am I actually going to do when I deconstruct or examine this, Mm -hmm. this specific belief that I have? I think for the person, it depends on what level of deconstruction that that they want to go to. Mm -hmm. Um, If we're talking about someone that really, especially if they're uh, an intellectual type person and really wants to get, get deep into what they know, then I I guess we could maybe put intellectual at the highest level, or I I don't know how exactly how we would measure that, but um, someone there, that's going to be the person that is going to read all the books that is going to listen to all the lectures. Um, that's the person that's going to spend that time, you know, in the library, um, in, in the books, listening to those lectures, really trying to figure out where I'm at, where I'm going to, what, what am I going to believe? I think on another level, though, there's going to be those other types of deconstruction, deconstructionists that for them, it's going to be more about the relationship. They care more about the relationship than they care about reading the books. So for them, a lot of their deconstruction is going to be sitting down in the coffee shop, Mm -hmm. having those conversations with, with friends. Um, Because for a lot of, for a lot of them, the attitude really is this, is that as they're getting older, they're starting to move away from their parents and their, um, their family now becomes their friends, their friends is their family. Cause that's the, those are the ones that they're spending the most time with. And so a lot of their deconstruction is going to come from the conversations that they're having with their closest friends. And I want to get into that later mm-hmm. as well about going forward. How do we put filters in so that we're letting the right people speak into our life? Right. I do want to talk about that mm-hmm. later. And so you mentioned influencers, the relationship, so I got saved when I was 22. Yeah. I didn't have a any sort of church or religious upbringing. Mm-hmm. We didn't read the Bible. Right. What I learned as far as a moral system was just kind of passed to me by my parents. You mm-hmm. know, hey, we don't. My parents were a Navy family, so the we don't cuss thing was out the window. Right. Because they could tell me that all day. Yeah. But they didn't live it. Right. But, you know, we don't talk ill of people. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't kill, right? All the, all the basic human moral tenets that we tend to all agree on. Mm -hmm. When I got saved at 22, I had that kind of intellectual approach, Mm. you know, so I really dove into scripture, dove into the books, but something that came to light recently, and maybe it's something that I've just taken for granted is we had some friends over and she was sharing that she did grow up kind of in a religious household that attended church very, very um, diligently every single weekend, but that growing up, she was basically told that she just wasn't allowed to ask those hard questions, Mm, you know, and it could be questions as simple as, you know, if God's so good, why is there evil in the world? Yeah. So she wasn't allowed to ask those. Mm -hmm. And so she just kind of grew up through that. Right. So when we're looking at why it's so, why it's moving so fast, you had said that this is something that really started back in the 40s, 50s, 60s, but due to access of information, Mm -hmm. it's just kind of hockey stick growth into popular culture. Right, right. 
And then, so do you think that also there's a, there could be maybe an identity part of this too, that, Hey, I'm cool because I'm doing this. Right. Right. And maybe that it gives this person more influence. I've seen the word, uh, ex evangelical a lot mm. associated with, with deconstruction. And some people seem to wear that as maybe a mark of pride behind all this. Yeah. Do you think there's any sincerity behind what, what we're seeing? Are there people that are actually right. looking for answers mm-hmm. or are there people that are just using this to accept maybe things that are more palatable to a world mm-hmm. that's changing? Yeah. Let me, let me kind of go back with the, before I get into that, let me kind of go back with that comment about people thinking through their faith starting back in the 50s and 60s, because mm-hmm. I think this is an important thing for, for the listeners to hear. Um, so there was a time, especially in America, where um, the, the Bible or anything that had to do with church was so revered in the American culture, regardless of if you went to church or not. I'm talking about just that faith of Christianity, uh, um, just just that culture of going to church and and God's word, that it was so revered that you never questioned it. If God said it, then it's true and and we believe it. And that's just, you know, it it was ingrained into what it meant to be an American for all practical purposes that changed with the 60s revolution. That's when it started. Now, the thing that's really interesting about that, that that I think is important for us to think through, is that those teenagers, those young people, those hippies, right, in the 60s that was really starting to think through some things and actually had the attitude of, I'm going to buck against the establishment, Mm -hmm. right? You got to think about it. Those same people now, most of them are the leaders in our country today. Those same people then are now in our government. Those same people then are now our professors. And so guess what's happened? Because this is what started to um, come out of that 60s revolution. <clears throat> Truth is no longer absolute. It's now whatever you want it to be. Mm-hmm. You know, there's my truth and then there's your truth. And it's okay if your truth is different than my truth because truth because truth is relative. So that came out of the 60s revolution. People that were having that thought became the professors in the universities. And now you have this thing where a lot of these people are going. A lot of these young people are going to college. Not all of them, but majority of them are going to college. And that for a lot of them, especially if they're Christians, mm-hmm. For a lot of them, that's where the deconstruction really starts to take hold, take place, because now you're dealing with professors that are um, purposely, in some cases, attacking the faith of a believer in the classroom. And they're actually saying to that believer, you really believe the Bible? And then they begin to deconstruct Hmm. everything in Scripture. They begin to look at the Bible as more of Aesop's fables or Greek mythology, and here's my reasons why, and they frame it to the young person in such a way that if they don't know what they believe, then they have completely torn down or deconstructed Hmm. everything that they thought was true because they don't know how to defend it. They've never been faced with the tough questions. That's That's interesting. So I I went to college in a very politically left state. Mm Mm-hmm. And, but at the time I didn't know anything about scripture. I was not a Christian, but I did get saved my senior year of college. As you're saying that I'm having these flashbacks of of the things that I'm reading in. Now I was a music major, right? So I spent most, most of my life was in the practice room playing Mm -hmm. concerts and playing music and, and interacting with other band nerds like myself. Right. But when I was out of the music building, and taking these other classes, philosophy, you know, all mm-hmm. these other mm-hmm. classes that I had to take for for a college degree. After I got saved and started really getting into the scriptures, I I did notice that a lot of things I was learning was very counter to what I was learning in the classroom. Mm. 
You make a good point. Well, there. yeah, and and so just thought that was important to bring out. But mm-hmm. now getting back to this whole sincerity mm-hmm. thing, I think this actually ties in because I, I, I really wanted to get to this because I thought this was a great question. And it really ties in, I believe, with the sincerity. And it is this. You asked me the question, just to kind of prep, get me ready for this. You asked me this question. Why is it permeating the church, specifically young people? Mm-hmm. And I think one of the big ways that we need to answer that is by is, is this way, um, because of the reasoning behind it. What is the reason why people are deconstructing from the faith? And I, I was just kind of jotting down some thoughts and some different reasons why. Uh, check this out, Matt. Some of the reasons why people deconstruct from their faith. Because they genuinely start to have doubts. Mm-hmm. They really start to doubt if what they believe in is true. So there's one. Uh, legalism is, is another one. Le- legalism is another reason why people are beginning to deconstruct their faith. It's because they grew up in a home that was so rigid. They grew up in a home that was so just, I don't know how else to say it, but mm-hmm. just a lack of grace, you know, where there were so many rules piled upon them that to even ask a question that that may be doubting what you believe in, you just don't do. There was no safe space to do that. You know, you and I are you and I are dads with young ones, and so um, we'll we'll understand this phrase very well. You know, you you have in the movie Encanto that you know. One of the most popular songs right now is uh, We Don't Talk About Bruno. Well, that is the attitude when it came to Christians having doubt growing up in a legalistic home. We, we don't we don't talk about that mm. because all that shows is like a lack of faith. And so we don't talk about that. I remember being I remember being seven, either seven or eight years old. And I was in a Sunday school class and the teacher was talking about God. And I just had a question that came in my brain. You know, because I thought it was a safe space to talk about these things. And so I had this question come into my brain, which was simply this. Um, if God created us, who created him? Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget this, man. I'll never forget this Sunday school teacher saying to me, we don't ask questions like that. That causes trouble. You need to just believe. Mm-hmm. So so don't ask those questions. And like it, it really kind of like shame. She really kind of shamed me. Yeah. And I always say, I say this to this day. I would have had so much more respect for that teacher if she would have said to me, "I don't know the answer." Yeah, and I'm glad you said that. I'm, mm-hmm. I don't want to interrupt you, but there, no, no, you're good. I think it is important as we're having these conversations to be okay saying those words. Yeah. I don't know. Right. I don't know, but I don't know, but let's go look at it together. Sure. You know, because exactly. I, I think that because of, of, you know, the culture we live in and, and kind of what I would call the one up culture, right? Everyone's got to be better than the person around right. them. And, you know, we got to represent ourselves on social media better. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, so right now it's February 26th and we're in the midst of, of this Ukraine war. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, everybody on social media has become an expert on hmm international foreign relations. Right. And so it's the same kind of thing here that, that, that we feel like we have to have all the answers, but I think it's way more important to admit when we don't have the answers, right. But let's go find them Mm -hmm. together. Well, and I think it also shows, I think it also shows empathy towards the person too, because, you know, you, you mentioned kind of what's going on with Ukraine and how everybody, is using that as leverage to become an expert on foreign affairs and things of that nature. Um, how about we stop for a second and think about the people mm-hmm. that are actually dying right now because of what's going on? You know, how about I get off of this? I, I don't know my my prideful high horse or whatever. You know, to show everybody what I know and stop and think about the fact like. People are actually getting hurt. Mm-hmm. People are actually dying. And that's something I've even had to think about when when I approach apologetics, you know, um, to realize instead of attacking the person that has these doubts to stop for a minute mm-hmm. and realize, hey, on the other end of these doubts is a, is a person right. that's hurting, that's confused. 
And I need to be sensitive enough to recognize that instead of just throwing those rapid fire answers at them and telling them, well, you just need to suck it up in this, you know, this, that or the other. But 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 as far as like that, getting back to like that deconstruction and those reasons behind it, you got doubt, you got legalism, Mm -hmm. you have hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. That's another reason why people deconstruct, yeah. because they've seen Christianity d- done a certain way, or they've seen people that say one thing and do mm-hmm. another, and it really hurts them. And they start to think to themselves, yeah. maybe this stuff isn't even mm-hmm. true, or maybe everything that I thought I knew about Christianity is not even right. Why? Because I looked up to this person, mm-hmm. and they turned out to be a fraud. And there's been a lot of that recently. Like, without naming yeah. names, there's been some high-profile right. you know, pastors that have that have publicly fallen in the, you know, the eyes of the people that entrusted them with their, with their faith journey, Mm -hmm. which also probably speaks to how it's even more important for us to put that faith in God and not a, a person. Right. A pastor is supposed to shepherd us and guide us. Sure. But they're supposed to guide us to the one who gives us the answers, not give us the answers for the sake of giving them to us. Mm-hmm. So it it's probably good maybe that some of these folks have, have, you know, that it's been kind of a public thing. Yeah. Because while it has caused some to question mm-hmm. from those questions has come some, some sincere change, but there's also kind of become this divide. Mm-hmm. Either it's sincere, which you mentioned, um, and they they start to experience more of God than before, yeah. Or they adopt kind of a cultural view of Christianity, right? Because this person fell, yeah. And now we've got progressive Christianity, which isn't biblical; it's more cultural in nature, right? Than it is scriptural. Well, and and we'll you know hopefully as we go down the line we'll talk about this. But I think another important thing in this conversation that we need to talk about is. There is a difference between healthy deconstruction versus mm-hmm. unhealthy. There's two types. And um, I know that some may be hearing about it for the first time, may get a little nervous and a little worried about this whole thing. But the reality is, is that there is a right. There is some deconstruction that needs to happen in our walk with the Lord that can be mm-hmm. very healthy and beneficial to our walk. But but with that said, there's also this unhealthy type of way, and um, <clears throat> love to, love to explore that more. But um, the the other thing is just kind of finishing up this list of like the 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 reasoning behind it. Why, the reason why some people deconstruct. Here's another big one, Matt. Um, suffering and evil. Mm-hmm. You know, um, how many times has a believer been in a situation where they pray for healing for their mom or for their dad? Mm-hmm. And when that healing didn't come, now all of a sudden they're sitting back and they're going, is everything I believe a lie? Right. Because I I was taught that if I pray with all sincerity mm-hmm. that God is going to heal my mom. But that didn't happen. So now I'm, now I'm sitting back wondering, is it all wrong? Am I wrong about this? And so suffering, I think, plays a huge part, too. Um we, we talked a little bit about this, the intellectual arguments. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's actually a passage, Matt, in Colossians 2 that says that as believers, we are supposed to beware of fine-sounding arguments. Mm-hmm. And there's one thing that I've realized is that there are so many people out there. Or here's another way I would even, you, you know, if, if <laughs> I would say this to people, if I was writing the Bible, I mean, think about the horror of that statement for a second. <laughs> if I wrote the Bible... Um, I would even give it a modern twist and say, instead of beware of fine sounding arguments, beware of spin doctors, Mm. beware of spin doctors. Mm -hmm. There are some people out there that can turn a phrase and say something in such a way that you will sit there listening to it and you are mesmerized because they're using, using all of this intellectual jargon, words that you've never heard. I mean, they come off so smart and you're sitting there and you don't realize that everything that they're saying from top to bottom is absolutely untrue. Mm-hmm. But, be, but because they spend it in such a way, they're like, well, man, maybe, maybe I don't know mm-hmm. what's going on. Maybe, yeah. maybe they're the ones that have all the answers. And then, and then the last thing in the, in that list I was sharing is just, it's just, just genuine emotions, mm-hmm. you know, so much of, if we're not careful, 
so much of our walk with the Lord can be about emotionalism mm-hmm. that we let that guide us instead of the truth. And so it becomes this whole situation of if if I'm in a service and, you know, let's say someone's coming to service for the first time listening listening to the worship and it's like doing something to them. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're feeling, they're crying, <laughs> snot, ball tears and <laughs> the whole nine, right? Yeah. So now it becomes this thing of they so they so have this experience, this emotional experience that they can't wait for the next one. So yeah. let's say they go back next Sunday, they get it again. Let's say it, it stretches out to a whole month mm-hmm. of church attendance they're having that. We get into month two. They come hear the worship. They don't feel the tingles, you know. They don't feel the emotions. Or they hear a, me- a part of a message yeah. mm-hmm. that they might just straight up disagree with. Exactly. And so now it becomes this thing of, well, maybe I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And so now the deconstructing ha- has begun. And so to answer that overall question of people that are deconstructing, are they sincere? Absolutely. Now I'm sure there may be some that are just doing it to, to do it and there's no sincerity oh, yeah. behind it. Mm-hmm. But I think the majority mm-hmm. of people that, I mean, especially you look at, um, um, we, we talked about this before we got on this interview. Um, I, I was talking to you a little bit about the lead singer of Hawk Nelson. And I actually listened to an interview with him because he made a big old stink in, in, in the Christian world by actually going on his Instagram and basically laying out the reasons why he doesn't believe anymore. Yeah, I remember that. And um, the, the thing with that is um, just listening to this interview with him, I'm listening to him talk and... <clears throat> You could tell in the interview, there's no malicious intent behind mm-hmm. what he's doing. He's genuinely struggling. Mm-hmm. He he He's very sincere in sure. what he's saying. And so I think that there's a lot of, obviously, there's a lot of sincerity in people that are deconstructing. But here's the thing. Does sincerity mean that it's right? <laughs> That's the thing. Because you can be very sincere, but be... Uh, completely wrong. I, you you were telling me um, that a lot of uh, a lot of your listeners are, are coming from the Cali area, so you know, shout out to my Cali <laughs> people there. Um, so a lot of them, especially Southern California, they'll they'll identify with this. Let's say that I'm getting on the freeway, I'm getting on the ten, and um, I get on the ten going east, but my goal is to get to L.A. Okay, so I get on the 10 going east, and it's taking me to San Bernardino. And so you recognize that I'm going east, but my destination is L.A., right? And so as I'm heading east, you're looking at me in the car, and you're going, what are you doing? You're going the wrong way. Dude, I really believe that if I continue to go east, I'm going to eventually end up in L.A. So so don't, don't give me that. Like, I'm... I feel it in my heart, man, mm-hmm. that going east is the right way. I'm I'm very sincere. I really mean it. I'm not playing with you. I really mean it that if I go east, I will end up in L.A. You're going to look at me and go, I don't care how sincere you are. You're crazy. <laughs> You're going the wrong way. So just because we're sincere doesn't necessarily mean that it's right. And we and at the end of the day, we got to nail down what is truth, what is what is reality, you know, and, and, and again, not minimizing the feelings of people, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, we want to nail down what is true and we want to move in that direction. Definitely. I don't, I, from what I'm finding, I don't think that all of the inquiries are necessarily antagonistic. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think that, I think that there's an equal amount of curiosity and skepticism. And I'm also finding that a lot of this is coming from some intense personal pain and history in the church yeah, as well, that the church, to your point earlier, has kind of just said, hey, we don't ask those questions. Right. So that now, falls right in line with the suffering and the abuse. Yeah. It's not just suffering. Didn't mean to cut you off, but it's not just suffering and abuse that has come from outside the church, but also that suffering and abuse that has come from inside the church. Mm-hmm. That'll obviously lead somebody to want to deconstruct. So we find that that scripture does command us to actually scrutinize our own faith. Acts talks about, you know, fact checking what you hear versus yeah. scripture. Be a Berean. 
we see um, practices like thoughtful preparation, reasonable skepticism, engaging in multiple perceptions to make sure that we're you know finding the right one. There's a great book that I read years ago, and I didn't really know what I was reading by a gentleman named John Ortberg. Okay. And it's called Faith and Doubt. Okay. And he says, what if the most important word was the one in the middle, the ant? Hmm. That actually having both is healthy, faith and doubt. The Bible says that my thoughts are not your thoughts, right? My ways are higher than your ways. So our right. our mind is unable to comprehend mm-hmm. why God does the things he does or why God may allow th- things to happen that happen. Right. And what that book goes into is actually kind of a healthy cycle about, about I don't understand, but I don't understand, but, you know, I'm going to look at the scripture appropriately right. and mm-hmm. learn. Um, and there's an interesting passage in John five where Jesus basically comes to this group of people. Maybe you can help me. Um, I think I know where you're going. Cause I think I was going to bring it up too, in perspective but, too. Yeah. I don't uh-huh. want to steal your thunder at all. No, 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 you're good. But he's basically accusing a group of people of just following blind faith. Hmm. And this is the part where he begins to kind of help them with the examination of faith. And so he mentions that there's three specific lines of evidence on how to do that. Human witness, Mm -hmm. the miracles he's performing, and the written scriptures. But the passage says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me mm-hmm. that you may have life. Right. Because there's still a way to be able to interpret his will incorrectly. Mm-hmm. And some of the things that I'm finding, so to your point about, you know, the lead singer of Hawk Nelson, there's been a couple of other folks that I used to look up to yeah. as well, you know, that I found, you know, like Audrey Assad or um, Derek Webb was a big one, you know, from Cademan's call back yeah, in the day. yeah. And I'm finding that the common denominator that I've seen is that it's more about being intellectually, politically, and culturally correct mm-hmm. than it is about having a relationship with the Father. Right. I feel like I feel like there's a aspect of this where the relationship with God gets lost mm-hmm. because even Jesus said that they did it. Yeah. It was in the scriptures you thought you would have eternal life, but the scriptures are bearing witness to me. Right. I'm the one that gives you eternal life. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's, it's a, it's a crazy thing in that um, when you look at the conversations that Jesus has specifically with, um, with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So, cause so, so we're talking about, let's just talk about the Pharisees for a second. They were, they were the religious elite. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you have these situations um, in scripture, when Jesus is confronting them, where um, he, he would utter a phrase, right? He would say, um, have you not read? Okay. Now, the reason why that's so interesting is because the Pharisees as the religious elite, they knew from what we would know as, I mean, for them, it was the Torah, right? Um, they knew their Torah, which would be for us from Genesis to Malachi, right? They had that thing completely memorized Mm -hmm. from the time that they were like 13, 14 years old, something like that, maybe younger, maybe 12, 11. So they knew it, right? And Jesus often would say to them, have you not read? Do you realize Mm -hmm. how much of a slap (laughs) in the face that statement is? Mm -hmm. For Jesus to say, like, I always tell people, Jesus is the original gangster, <laughs> because that takes a lot to look at someone like, have I not read? Do you know what I do for right. a living? Yeah. How are you going to come at me like that, <laughs> Jesus? Right. And he would constantly say, have you not read? And then he would go into it to let them know, you know, this stuff, but you don't know this stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. you know it intellectually, but there's been a, a cognitive dissidence from what you know up here to, uh, you know, for those that can't see me, what you know in your head to what you know in your heart. And so it is very possible 
to be reading and memorize the scriptures and not have a relationship with the Lord. Mm -hmm. And that's a scary thought to think about because obviously you would think, well, I'm reading the Bible every day, so so I must have a relationship. But Jesus is making it very clear um, that you don't, Mm -hmm. that it's very possible to separate the two. Mm -hmm. And you got to really examine your heart with that. Yeah, the Pharisees rejected Jesus Mm -hmm. in favor of their own traditions. Yes. It was a comfort zone. Mm -hmm. And... I can't help but see that happening today, where today I feel like the words of Jesus himself were actually getting twisted up in favor of personal preference mm-hmm. or cultural preference or political right. preference, right. which to me feels a little bit more, it feels a little bit more blasphemous than what the Pharisees were doing. Yeah. Because the Pharisees just outright rejected Jesus. Well, now we have the Messiah, mm-hmm. but now the words that he gave us, the prophecy that he fulfilled is getting twisted so that some of us can just kind of do what, do whatever we want to do. Yeah. And that's not to take away the folks who are, who are sincerely looking into their faith and trying to understand why they believe what they believe, the apologetics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you mentioned the influencers. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm looking in the wrong places. But I have generally seen that the ones that seem to be twisting scripture as a license to do what they want to do right. have the loudest influential voices. Mm-hmm. And so it's causing a negative influence on the people that are sincerely seeking that. So, so what do we do? Like as just Christians, as a husband, as a father, you know, as somebody that gets to speak into the community, you know, somebody that works at a church every day, what is it that we, what can we do to help people understand why they believe what they believe more sincerely? I think one of the biggest things you find this in first John, that we are to, speak the truth in love mm-hmm. that that's the mandate that's on us and don't separate those because i've seen i've seen it separated where people are either speaking truth mm-hmm. there's no love <laughs> there's no love <laughs> yeah. behind it yeah. they're just rapid fire truth and they are just condemning you know and i mean we've we've all heard the old adage of people don't um, care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. And and there's just so much truth. And I don't care if it is an old cliche. Um, sometimes the best cliches are the ones that have the most truth in it. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely a cliche. I get it. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. But it is true. It is still true. And so speaking the truth and love. So I see some people, they... They diverge so far into truth and there's no love behind what they're doing Mm. that they don't even see the person that they're talking to as a person. Mm. They just see him as a notch on the belt where I'm going to argue them um, in such a way that I'm going to argue them into a right understanding of who God is. And that almost never works. Right. But then you have that other side where people are like, well, let's not worry so much about truth. Let's let's just love them Mm -hmm. as if. Real love is devoid of truth, Mm -hmm. you know, like real love is just the ooey gooey feeling. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to love you to the point that, um, you know, secular society has really hijacked the word tolerance Mm -hmm. and it sucks. (laughs) I don't know if I can say that on your program, but it's a problem because the definition of tolerance in our society today is, um, just let people do and believe whatever they want to do and believe because who am I to speak against that? And we look at that and we go, that's love. Love is when you just let people be who they want to be and, 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 and just speak their truth, Mm -hmm. no matter how wrong Mm -hmm. it may be. If we continue on down that track, then we are not bringing reality to the situation, we're bringing more uh, confusion. confusion yeah. But when we speak the truth in love, that's where God wants us to be. Speak the truth in a way 
where you genuinely care about this person that you're sharing truth with, that you genuinely love them. So I, um, I, I think there's that. I mean, me, me being someone who is a strong advocate for apologetics, I'll always throw that out there. Mm-hmm. There's there's tons of resources in apologetics that you definitely want to get your hands on. I'm reading a book right now called um, um, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Mm-hmm. And um just loving that book. But I mean, I'm a fanboy when it comes to apologetics. Mm-hmm. So I could sit here all day and talk about the importance of getting that material out there. And I don't think there's nothing wrong with that. But before you even do that, you better make sure you're going with a heart of love. Right. You know, because right. if you're not, then you're just shoving books at them. Um, but you're not actually sitting down and having a conversation with them. Right. Um, be patient with people mm-hmm. with their doubts. Like, We as believers, we have got to create a safe space for people to come to us with their doubts. Mm -hmm. We've we've got to do that. You know, like I said earlier about the about the teacher that was the Sunday school teacher. that was like, you just don't say things like that. You know, um, when I was asking about where did God come from? I need to be able to have this heart that if someone comes to me with questions like that, that I can stop and be like, man, I'm excited that you're asking that. Yeah, that's great. You know, like that, that's so cool. Yeah. I, you know, when I was a youth pastor, um, I would get parents that would sometimes come in to talk to me because they were so worried about their kid because this kid is starting to ask all these questions. They're starting to doubt all these things. And I would often say something to the parent that would shock them. I would say, that's great. They're like, that's great. How was that great? <laughs> it's great because it means that their faith is not yours. They're actually thinking through Mm -hmm. for themselves. And I am completely okay with doubts if it leads them into a deeper understanding of what they believe. Yeah. You know, so that when they become adults, yeah, they don't waver kind of like we're seeing now, Mm -hmm. which is, I guess, what's leading to a deconstruction movement. Yeah. Right now. And I think that also plays into, I mean, might be kind of jumping into this sooner than we wanted to. But I think this kind of brings us to this understanding of what is healthy deconstruction versus what is unhealthy. Mm -hmm. You know, we were talking earlier about with Jesus, with the Pharisees or whatever. And I realized that as we're having this conversation, Jesus was a deconstructionist. Yeah. And the reason why. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the reason why I say that is because he was constantly challenging not God's word. He was challenging the traditions that they were attaching to God's word. He was yeah. deconstructing that. Mm-hmm. But the word was still the word, you know. You can probably take it a step further because mm-hmm. he, even after Jesus did all the miraculous things that he did, which which if it were, what did Matthew, was it Matthew or 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 John that said like, there's not enough books to contain all the miracles right. he performed yeah. just in the short time he was here. Exactly. Researching some of this stuff led me to Thomas. Mm-hmm. And there's a great message by T.D. Jakes about Thomas's doubt yeah. that I heard really early into my walk with the Lord that, that really changed my life, actually. I, it was the only time... I'd ever seen T.D. Jakes live Mm -hmm. and he had preached the service and it was just astounding. But when, you know, Thomas saw all the things that he saw and even after Jesus died and, and Thomas was staring at Jesus resurrected body (laughs) after watching him die and still had this doubt in him, Jesus could have been. You saw everything, dude. Yeah. What's up? But instead, Jesus did give Thomas the proper attention, the time, and and mm-hmm. and even I would say gave him maybe even more evidence of who he was than Thomas may have needed. You know, yeah. hey, put your finger here. Yeah. Put your hand in my side. You know, am I not who I told you that I was? Jesus didn't. He didn't applaud Thomas for his skepticism, Mm -hmm. but he dedicated time and gave proper attention to it to help him firm up his belief in in Jesus, even after seeing the things he had seen. Yeah. And, you know, um, there is there is in John, in the Gospel of John, a situation where um, there was a father who had a son that was demon possessed and he and he said that his son is like 
throwing himself in the fire, throwing himself in the water, you know, to kill himself. And so there's a him, and it says that he goes to the disciples to um, to to ask them for help with this boy. And they they couldn't cast this demon out. Mm-hmm. Jesus at this time is on the Mount of Transfiguration. He's starting to come down. You know, he's finally coming down, goes into the where the scene is. And the father now is reaching out to Jesus like, there's my boy. He's doing this stuff. I don't know what to do or whatever. And and. Jesus says something that I always thought that the conversation between him and that dad has always been very interesting to me and very powerful. Jesus doesn't respond to the dad by saying, oh, cool, right away. Yeah, I'll, I'll heal him right now. You know, let's let's go. He says to him, do you believe that I can do this? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like. Well, Jesus, of course he believes, like he wouldn't even be asking you if he didn't believe. Right. And yet the father's response does reveal something in his heart that Jesus knew already. Mm-hmm. The father says to him, I do believe, but help my unbelief. So what's really interesting to me about that is Jesus doesn't reprimand him for not believing fully. Mm-hmm. If anything, Jesus loves the fact that he took his doubts to him. And so that's what we need to. And I think that's where the problem can come in as far as when we talk about a healthy way to deconstruct versus an unhealthy way. Where are you taking these doubts? Who are you taking these doubts to? Mm -hmm. Are you just keeping them to yourself or are you taking it to the one that can actually work you through the truth of what's going on in that situation? As you're saying that, I'm staring at a scripture that I'd written down Mm -hmm. and I had no idea where I wanted to use this. (laughs) But you set it up beautifully. And so it's in Romans one and it says, for even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their Mm -hmm. speculation and their foolish heart was darkened professing to be wise. They became fools. Yeah. So instead of taking this to influencers, Mm -hmm. taking it to social media, we need to take it to the Lord. Yeah. We need to take it into Whatever you do, right? Your prayer closet, your right. worship time, get one on one and make sure that we're listening to his voice, right. listening to that still small voice that can help guide us right. in the right direction exactly. of what the scripture means. Yeah. And I'm less about, mm-hmm. I'm okay having a debate with somebody going into deconstruction. Mm hmm. Or some other postmodern theories, but I think it's it's more important to concentrate on exalting Christ yeah. and emphasizing the sufficiency and authority of Scripture. So maybe in the show notes, we'll talk afterwards, we can put in some books, podcasts, references that can help us understand right. or, you know, understand why Scripture is sufficient, mm-hmm. but in relationship with God to help us read it. Right. Because that's his spoken word to us. Yeah. And it's a living, breathing thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can read the same verse a thousand times. Right. I get something different because the Holy Spirit wants me to receive something different from it. Yeah. So we'll put some references in there, too. You you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about God's word. So just kind of and you know, I don't know kind of where you're at or where you want to go from here, but I'm thinking of closing thoughts. But if you have more that you want to talk about, this is fine. But I'm thinking about this. When you look at, again, when you look at this whole thing of deconstruction, deconstructionism, this this phenomenon, this thing going on, before we got to deconstruction, it it was construction, right? We were Mm -hmm. constructing something. And so when it comes to someone's faith or when it comes to their belief, this is what's happening. They have they have built something in their hearts and in their minds of what they think faith should look like or what they think that their walk should look like. And without realizing it, there may be things within the structure Mm. that are not, that are not sound, that are not right. And it's causing cracks. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when someone starts deconstructing, they realize it. they're seeing it. They're starting to see there's some cracks in the way that, I've always thought it should go. Yeah. Like who God is, what the Bible says, all of these things. I'm starting to see some cracks here. And so, of course, now you have to begin to deconstruct. And so within that, with the deconstruction, here's what's important in deconstruction. 
especially when you're talking about a healthy way versus an unhealthy way. When you deconstruct and then you start to rebuild again, because you got to do that. Mm -hmm. When you start to rebuild again, always recognize that God's word is the blueprint. Mm -hmm. And so here's what's happening when people deconstruct and then they rebuild. These are the mistakes that they make when it comes to God's word. If God's word is the blueprint, when people start to rebuild, they either rebuild with no blueprint Hmm. or they rebuild with a completely different blueprint or they re they're rebuilding with the right blueprint, but they're interpreting it the wrong way. Hmm. And so when you're doing that, one of those three things, then when you start to rebuild, you end up either as far off in the camp of, I don't believe anymore or you end up in that other camp of now I'm going to become a progressive Christian. And so you're taking on more of a cultural influence in your walk. And so to me, just in a nutshell, when I think of healthy deconstruction, it looks like this. If your faith has been built on legalism, if your faith has been built on traditionalism, you need to deconstruct. Mm -hmm. Okay. If your faith has been built on anything that doesn't line up with script, what scripture actually says, then yes, a deconstruction of your faith needs to happen mm -hmm. immediately. That is healthy deconstruction. Now, unhealthy deconstruction is when um, is, is when you look at, you examine your faith, you strip it all down and then you start rebuilding again with atheism or pantheism or, or, uh, materialism. You know, you, you start, you, you start building with the mm -hmm. wrong materials and it becomes this whole thing of faith is my faith is not so much about the truth of God's word. My faith is about just the way I feel and what's mm -hmm. comfortable for me and or what's comfortable and palatable for the culture yes. that you're in as well. Yes. And I, and that's kind of what I'm finding mm -hmm. a large part is that at, as people start to reconstruct, like, you know, now that we're in the reconstruction phase mm -hmm. after and you mentioned the unhealthy one is to strip everything away. Yeah. Well, now it's time to rebuild, but without, rebuilding on the blueprint of scripture like you mentioned what yeah. scripture actually says people are rebuilding with what popular culture says is okay right on we're rebuilding and creating a a my truth mm -hmm. instead of building it on the blueprint or foundation of the truth. Right. But when I read my Bible, it says, 2 Timothy 3.16, one of my favorite passages in all the scripture, it says that all scripture is God-breathed. Mm -hmm. And it's useful, not useless. Mm -hmm. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When you do that, when you understand that, and you start to build with that understanding, then you, my friend, have done a very healthy deconstruction. And I'm excited about what your faith is going to look like after that, because it's going to be more rich. It's going to be more genuine and it's going to be right on. Well, this was awesome. Yeah. I think that somebody listening is going to get some nuggets out of this. I know I certainly did just sitting here having the conversation with you, Yeah. but before we conclude the episode, any final thoughts, any parting words for anybody out there that might be listening? Yeah. I think just kind of going back to that understanding of um, seeing the person behind the deconstruction, seeing the person behind um, the questions um, before we're quick to, to give an answer or quick to get on them for even having those doubts or those problems, um, that, that we love them, mm -hmm. you know, um, that we're just there for them as a friend and then look for those opportunities to share truth in love as, as they come along. You know, I didn't think about the story with Job, um, in the book of Job, Job was a guy that went through a situation where a lot of stuff was not going his way and he couldn't figure out exactly what was going on. Um, and his friends finally came 
you know, to see him. And it says that they were with him before, with him for some time. Um, and, and you realize, Matt, that in that moment, they were the greatest friends in the world mm-hmm. until they started talking. And then Job said, you guys are horrible. Yeah. Oh, another translation says miserable comforters are you <laughs> because they led with intellect. They led with what they knew and there was no love behind it. And Job saw through that right away. So don't be a horrible comforter. <laughs> don't be a miserable comforter. Be a genuine, loving comforter and look for those opportunities as God leads you to, to share truth. Cool. Well, yeah. Pastor Chris, I appreciate you sharing this with us and yeah. um, look forward to hearing more from you in future episodes. <laughs> I, I think you've given me some ideas on some stuff we can talk about in the future. Awesome. But I uh, appreciate you. Thank yeah. you. Thank you, man. Yeah. This episode of Tech Talks has ended, but be sure to subscribe for upcoming inspiration. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you transformative content. See you next time. Can you turn that on? It is for reason. I, told you. <laughs> I know. I told you. I'm so sorry. Oh man. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> that's good. I was trying. Reco- I'm still recording.